good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us, and how you're listening to us. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast a part of your day. I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. And hope all of you are well are safe, uh, well and safe out there. And how are you, my man? I am excellent. I am okay. I am just going to start this podcast off with a few words. Four words to be exact. I told you so. Yeah, boy. And I think we know what we're talking about, boys and girls. I think so. So you know what? This is where I, you know, I'll let Carrie Underwood with Jesus take the wheel. I'll let Chris take the wheel here. <laughs> oh, I'll let Chris take the wheel here. And I wonder what his thoughts on it. So, so go ahead, my man. So once upon a time, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, we had rules and standards to, to create national titles for collegiate football for the NCAA. And it used to be the best teams would compete and then play for the BCS title game. And then we developed this playoff system. And it's a four-team playoff system that's absolutely silly. And there seems to be one team that is forced in almost every year, but they only won once. Hmm. I wonder who that team is. It might be the the team from Ohio, from Columbus, who I said was overrated, who I said had no business being in the playoffs. And I'm going to go ahead and all of the Buckeyes nation get a fork and a plate and get a pie cutter because I'm serving some humble pie to you guys. Putting Ohio State into... The, the playoff system, I said, was an out, outright joke to begin with this season. Number one, you got to play a certain amount of games. They lowered it and, 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 and changed the system just to force them in. And everyone was like, oh, man, they're going to – the typical, uh, you know, mantra of, of Ohio State fans, oh, we're going we're gonna to win it all and blah, 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 blah. And – you know, well, <laughs> I, I I enjoy this. And there seems to be a trend that more times than not when Ohio State plays for a national title against an SEC team, they get, I think I even used the term throttled last week. And they got throttled, 52 to 24. And now people can, you know, I... I I, I got involved in a couple conversations where people were making fun of Florida. Oh, you know, you guys got trashed by Oklahoma and your garbage. And I was like, well, you know, bowl games outside of the playoffs honestly don't count. They don't matter to players. And it's becoming more and more uh, uh, normal for players just to say, you know what, if I'm not playing in a playoff game, I'm just going to skip out. I'm going to prepare for the combine, and I'm not going to risk injury. And honestly, I don't blame them. If I have a shot at making millions and millions of dollars, and in one hit that dream is gone in a game that literally doesn't matter, I, I honestly I don't blame these guys. So that's one of my arguments why we should bump it to an 18-playoff system. But regressing back to my point, 
is, you know, everyone was just jabberage. all oh, Florida's garbage. You guys got blown out by Oklahoma, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know what? You're right. We did. We were also missing our four key pass receivers. Uh, almost our entire starting defense was gone. And we were essentially playing with a B squad. And they're like, it shouldn't matter. If you're, an, if you're in a quote-unquote elite program, you should be able to win no matter what. Now, all of a sudden, I, I decided there's not a lot of places left for me to troll since I'm banned from most social media platforms because of the onset of communism. Instagram, I still have a little bit of ground left on my island that, that the water hasn't absorbed. So I, I found this post that, that ESPN posted about Ohio State, and it's essentially them just kissing Ohio State's ass, as they always do. On how it's like, yeah, they lost, but they're still like the greatest team in, in college ever. So I went in there and chipped in my two cents. And I kept it so basic. I said, can we stop pushing overrated teams like Ohio State and Notre Dame into the playoffs, please? And I tagged Kirk Herbstreit. So naturally, like, you know, Kirk Herbstreit is not going to, you know, respond to a little old guy like me. Uh, but, of course, the the Ohio State bandwagon and all of their burning glory comes attacking me. And they're like, how are they trash? How are they garbage? They're the greatest team ever. Blah. I'm like, did you guys win the national title? And then somehow, I guess because even though I have my profile private, it it's I guess somehow they could see I'm a Gators fan. They're like, and they said, well, you know, uh, we're better than the Gators. And I was like, well, according to the score... I'm going to go ahead and say no, because if you look at the SEC championship game, Alabama put up the same amount of points, which is 52, and we put up 46, and you put up 24. But, again, I pushed the narrative because that's, you know, where I was getting attacked on them saying that, you know, you sh if you're an elite program, you should be able to play no matter what, and then their excuse is, well, we had players with COVID and players were hurt. And I was like, well, if you're an elite program, I guess you should be able to play, shouldn't you? And, of course, that went over well as a kite in a hurricane. Or if we've all watched Bad Boys 2, about how well it looks is Will Smith popping out of a coffin in the middle of a Ku Klux Klan meeting. It doesn't go over well. I'm just going to give you a hint. So, Ohio State, thank you for proving me right once again and showing us and the world, essentially, how much of a garbage team you are outside of the Big Ten. You stay beating up minor league teams like Toledo, and and uh, uh, no, you struggled against Northwestern, which, of course, we got a great laugh at, and uh, uh, Michigan and Penn State and all these other little programs. So when you want to play you know, big boy programs, we see what happens. Um, good luck to you in the, in the Big Ten. Maybe next year play more games. And congrats on uh, uh, Nick Satan on winning his, like, 13,000th trophy. And uh, I can't wait for college ball next year. The end. That's my story. Mm. Yes. <laughs> you know, folks, that I think it's probably the best five minutes of the podcast. I don't know how to top any of that. But you know what? I'll, I'll try. I'm pretty sure I'll catch up later. But all I'll say is this before we transition – the NFL is when I watched the game one of the things that I always loved about Alabama is is that listen they're, they're just grown dudes out there it's like they're, they're, they're Sunday players out there and you saw a lot of them on display like Mac Jones Najee Harris, Devontae Smith you know a little bit of Jalen Waddle. you saw Sunday players 
And one of the things that I always give credit to Nick Saban for, in an era where, you know, scholarships, you know, so many scholarship players you could have, and yet he's able to maximize that and convince a four-star player to redshirt or, you know, to sit a year because of the fact that of their track record. It's like if you go to any Fortune 500 company, you look at their track record, and you're like, well, you want to come in, you know, day one, you know, six figures, but you realize that, hey, if I go to this company, I'm in good hands. And I think a lot of the players who go to Nick Saban, they feel that way. Nick Saban can field an NFL roster. In fact, he has. If you, you know, I could actually go look up at all the, the all Saban you know, team and there are guys playing on Sunday. So kudos to Alabama. And, and as for Ohio State, what I will say is this. Is, is that Justin Fields to me was not 100% healthy. You know, I don't know if, you know, when you saw the game, I don't know if you saw it, but I could tell he didn't look, re- he wasn't 100%. And he, he he simply wasn't 100%. And when you're playing guys like, when you're playing in Alabama, they're going to come in your face and they're going to knock you down. Like I said, and, when you're playing big boy ball against real teams, whether it's an SEC team or whether it's Clemson or or any other, you know, high high program, this isn't powder puff ball when you're playing uh, Illinois or uh, Michigan State. This is what happens when you play real teams and they play full contact ball. And my heart does not it, – it does not bleed for uh, Justin Fields. And he, if, if he was playing when he's hurt – I mean, I give him courage. He went out there and did his thing. But the numbers show. He went uh, 17 for 33, 194 yards with one touchdown. And Mac Jones went 36 for 45 for 464 yards and five touchdowns. So there's two things shown right there. Um, Ohio State's defense is laughable because he put up that many yards. And then if you look at the rushing yards, um, that was, uh, you know, quite intense as well. Uh, And then on top of that, maybe uh, Alabama's defense was just a little much for uh, for Justin Fields because somehow – People in the back of their head still think that Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Mac Jones. Now, we're not going to get into that debate because we'll save that for the the combine and the draft uh, in a few months. But the only other note I want to leave before we transition to the NFL is numbers. And we all know how much I love numbers. Now, do you want to – I'm going to give you – see, now it's my turn to give you an over-under. Usually it's the other way around. So Terrific. I'm going to give you a 5% over-under. Okay. Of Ohio State's record versus SEC teams. So anytime they've played an SEC team, I'm going to give you 5%. What's their percentage of victory? Hmm. <sighs> it's not great to be on the side of the table, first and foremost. I, I, <laughs> yeah, it sucks when you're when you're in my yeah. team, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like, I put it like this, you know, like the late great Axe Rebecca, you know, it, it, it's you know it's hard to be you know at the podium and say Jack hard you're spinning the wheel so okay so going back to your question I'm going to say I'm going to I, I'm going to say it's under fifty percent I'm I'm fairly confident in that okay I will go with hmm, this number won't shake in my head but I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say thirty five percent damn okay you you got it close so you're actually five percent over. 
Their record against the SEC is a 30.6% margin of victory. Ah, okay. Wamp, wamp. Now, let's have some real fun. What is their percentage of winning? And I'll give you the same 5%. What's their percentage of winning in bowl games against SEC teams? Okay, this one should be, once again, I'm going to take the under on 50%. Okay. Uh, Because I know, I'm just going in recent history, so I know that year we whopped him. I think it was in the Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl, I can't remember. Whatever year uh, Ted Ginn was there, I think he got hurt on that run back. Um, Why couldn't that be the question? Um, (laughs) I'm going to say, I'm going to say 37%. You are very much off. Let's cut that in half and then some. Their victory percentage against SEC teams in bowl game is a whopping 15.4%. They are 2-11 and in bowl games against the SEC. Wow. They are 5-12-1 and and against the SEC all-time. Now, so for all the Ohio State fans out there with their flappy little gums, you are not a better program. Let's face it, you're not, so shut up, and I'm not saying I'm sorry for it. And now, if I was in a courtroom, I would look at the judge and I'd say, Your Honor, I rest my case. <laughs> you know, the thing is, Chris... Can't argue you know, Yeah, you, you can't, and... And it's speaking of things that you can't really argue about. Treasure to the NFL. One of the things, Chris, that un- undoubtedly I, I can't argue about, and, and I can't speak for you, but there was there was three at least three good games and one very big surprising game. This is I said it last week, and, I, and I'll say it again. This is what I like. This is what happens when you expand the playoffs. You know, in the right sport. In football, it feels right to expand because now you get those games where you're wondering, well, how can this seeded team, how a low seeded team, compete against a high seeded team? You know, that's why I say in the NCAA they did it with March Madness, and you saw a couple more upsets. When in fact you saw a 16 knock off a one. Sorry, Virginia Cavaliers fans, for bringing up that memory, but mm-hmm. but <laughs> the reality is what what I saw over the weekend is. I think we probably saw maybe the end of one era and quite possibly maybe the beginning of one. But with with that being said, uh, Chris, give us your thoughts on Wild Card Weekend. So, number one, there, you know, there were just some great games all together. You have some teams that snuck into the playoffs and you're like, how the hell did you get in here? Like, you understand it. You're like... Okay, you, you you got your division, but how? Like how? It's, it's, it's you just you want to keep saying that word over and over again. And one of those teams was the Bears, and I, that game went uh, a little less dramatic than I than I thought it would. I I honestly thought the Saints were just going to come out there and blow them out. Uh, Drew Brees is. Uh, I guess we could talk about it with like Justin Fields. He is noticeably still hurt. 
Um, this is it for him. Uh, you know, I think that this week's game against Tampa is going to be one hell of a shit show. Um, I am, I am awfully excited for that. Um, of course the Rams and the Seahawks, I, I was riding high. I was soaring on the Seahawks in the beginning of the season. I predicted them to win their division. And if you remember correctly, I even predicted them to go to the Super Bowl against the Browns, or excuse me, against the uh, the Chiefs. And, yeah, yeah, you did. And well, I, I'm wrong. See, I can even admit when I'm wrong. Um, the game that I want to circle in real quick was the Tampa Bay Washington game, and the future of Washington as a program, and just how damn good of a coach Ron Rivera really is. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you know, there's, there's always that people say that when your back's against the wall, there's nothing you can do. Sometimes you just got to blow through the fucking wall to give yourself some space. And that's what Ron Rivera does time and time again. Everyone thinks that he's just, his back's against the wall and that's it. And he says, no. I'm not done yet. Whether it's him beating cancer or him assembling teams, the man just doesn't. I don't think he comprehends the word quit. And I idolize that in that man. And if anything anybody is doing in life, they need to follow that mantra. Take that and follow it. And so, number one, you have Alex Smith who makes his heroic comeback and gets hurt. And, you know, we're 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 fishing in some muddy water with him. Like I said on the on the podcast last week, I honestly think the comeback player of the of the year award needs to be named after him because that man shows tremendous tenacity and and willpower and 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 just aptitude to perform. Uh, I think better than anybody else in the league. And then we have this kid come in, Taylor Heineke. I couldn't tell you who he was to be honest with him. I, I I legit had to Google him. And you want to talk about a, a young man that was putting it all out on the line to try to give himself a, a, a paycheck. I think he definitely did that. He was, I think, I think they said he was going to school for, for engineering, I believe. And he had to tell his professor, Hey, I, I got signed by an NFL team. Can I do my finals in a couple weeks? And and I don't know how well that goes over. I don't know if that's like the dog ate my homework you know, routine, but it happened. So Taylor Heineke comes in and just goes postal, uh, you know, going for 306 yards. Uh, he did score a touchdown, but he also did throw a pick. That touchdown he scored, he ran it in. And, uh, I mean, the kid had six carries for 46 yards. This is somebody who literally just, strapped on some pads and and showed up for work. Um, I don't know if he earned himself a new starting job in Washington or impossibly some other team in desperate need of a quarterback. But number one, to, to perform the way that he did against Tampa's defense, who arguably is probably one of, I would say, a top three elite defense in the NFL right now. And then on the other side of the ball, gunslinging it with, with Tom Brady of all people, as much as my everyone knows my dismay for him. I will never discredit a his work ethic and b his his numbers. I'm a we all know I'm a numbers guy, and that's what matters at the end of the day. Um, so that game right there, 
I, 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 I kind of deep, deep down inside knew that Tampa Bay was going to win, but just watching Heineke go out there and just throw it on the line, hats off to him. I hope that kid has a career. You know, I, I would love to see him thrive somewhere. Uh, flipping over to the AFC, um, you know, the Bills and the Colts put on just an electric, electric show there. The You know, the Bills ended up squeaking out. Um, you know, I don't know what the word is on on Phillip Rivers, if he's going to uh, stay or go or retire. But being a man of his age and his stature and and with the amount of children that he has, to still be able to throw for 309 yards and, and two touchdowns, God bless you, man. That's that's all I can say. He knocked it out of the park. Uh, it, Indianapolis showed up to play, and I don't expect anything but greatness coming out of that program next season. They're going to just continue to grow. Uh, the Bills on the other side of the ball, I think we're uh, we're starting to see them become the powerhouse and the new uh, the new AFC East uh, monsters. And it's it, it's going to be a very interesting time to see them play. Um, I, I was happy with the game. I, I did pick on on the Bills to win, so I'm happy that came through. Um, the Ravens and the Titans, that was a dose of humble pie. Uh, I know we talked about humble pie earlier, uh, but that was a dosage back. You know, uh, Lamar Jackson was criticized. He can play during the – I, and I think I even talked about it in the beginning of the season. And I, I think I almost started to make the comparison. Is Lamar going to be the A-Rod of the NFL? Is he going to give you an MVP trophy winning season? And then when the postseason comes, he chokes. He shits the bed and he just quivers and dies. And Lamar showed that he can... He can win a game. Uh, you know, he ran for 136 yards, threw for 179. Um, you know, Ryan Tannehill put up his best. Baltimore, they came ready to win, and I think Tennessee expected them uh, to just be walkovers again. You know, I'll, I'll even make a Star Wars reference. It's like the first time that Luke Skywalker fought Vader, and then round two came up, and 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 old Luke was he was ready to roll on 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 round two, and I think that the Ravens were ready to roll on round two, and I, and I think that that uh, that was shown. So hats off to them. And then last but not least, your favorite NFL team, the Cleveland Browns, out here. We 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 can skip that. We don't really have to talk about that. We can skip that. We can just As, we can we we can go the whole show. I mean, we're almost 23 minutes into the show, and we can go another 23 without it. That's that's a negative, Ghost Rider. This this pattern is not full. Uh, I I think I even said the Browns were going to be a team to watch out for, and I, I think Pittsburgh. I think we can all agree at this point, Pittsburgh's a fraud. They were a fraud this season. They they had the the New England hump is what we'll call it. They had some games where they played trashy teams the majority of the season and they had some referee help when it mattered and then when it came down to it unfortunately they didn't have uh, a Tom Brady and and 10 receivers that were going to be MVPs and everything else but all, all things aside you had uh, essentially Jarvis Landry 
he's the only like workable receiver they have at this point. I mean, as a as a receiver, uh, you've got Chubb and and Hunt in the backfield that you know can, that that have good hands. And again, here here comes you know the uh, uh the you know the the SEC monsters and uh, running from the backfield. But you know, hats off to Baker Mayfield. As much shit I think as we have. I don't even want to say we because I haven't really picked on him a lot. Baker Mayfield to you is what Ohio State is to me. He's just not a likable person. And you want to talk about an ambitious. What Baker Mayfield is, is everything that Cleveland hoped Johnny Manziel would be and wasn't. And Mayfield just, he's not, he's just not going to quit. He's going to leave it all out in the field. 100% 100% every time he goes out there. And I think he showed that uh, playing against the Steel Curtain. And, and you know, that's that's an elite program. It has been for years. Mike Tomlin has a lot of experience in the playoffs. Uh, Big Ben has a lot of experience in the playoffs. And he, he just said, I'm going to put this on my back and we're going to roll. So now they're playing the Chiefs and... The question I, I, right now, the Chiefs are are I think they're on like a like a very narrow margin of victory. Is is like the, I forget what the the victory or the 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 Vegas odds are. I, I don't have them in front of me. When I looked them up, you know, pre-show to, to put my notes, I should have wrote them down. But they're not a lot. It's it is not a large margin of victory that they have uh, for Kansas winning, and they're even saying that this is a possibility. That this could be an upset. And I know that just, it, it sounds crazy saying that the Browns could upset the Chiefs of all teams. But if Kansas City does not come out 100% throttle from kickoff to game over, they're going to lose. You, you can't pull an Urban Meyer. You can't pull a Dan Mullen. You can't pull an Ed Ogeron. If you take your foot off the gas ever so slightly, you are going to be setting yourself up for failure. So I am I am beyond excited to actually that that's honestly the the two games that I've got slated that I I literally can't express the excitement to watch is Tampa and New Orleans and and Cleveland and Kansas City. I, I am I am just I am thrilled with with how this is going to go. So uh, you know, best of luck to all the teams and the team that I have. I, I have the Bucks winning the NFC now. That's that's who I'm going to go. I'm going to go out on a bold prediction. Tampa is going to beat New Orleans. Uh, Green Bay is going to beat. Uh, LA. So it'll be L so it'll be Green Bay and, and Tampa for the NFC title game. I got them winning and going to the Super Bowl. I've got the Bills beating the Ravens. I think the Bills passing offense is just too much for Baltimore's defense to handle. One hundred percent honest with you. They've got too many weapons. Stefan Diggs is having a, a, an immaculate season. You got Cole Beasley out there doing work. You got their run game finally starting to develop. And honestly, I don't know who to choose to win for the Browns and Chiefs. I, I really don't. That that game is the mystery game to me. I definitely think the Bills will be playing for the AFC title game. I just I can't tell you who, who they're gonna be playing. 
Well, I, I guess we'll 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 start. I'll give my predictions, but we'll start back what happened over the weekend. And and I will be the first person to admit that maybe maybe I was a little harsh on Baker Mayfield. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe I will cop to that. But this is what I said about you. You want to know why, Chris? I was hard on the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns are a team that, quite frankly, they had too much talent for them not to be this successful. And they underperformed. And this is what happens, Chris, and I mentioned this many times. It starts at the top. Jimmy Haslam hired hired a GM who was an adult, and in turn, that other adult hired another adult to coach. What a concept, Chris. When it's a top-down process, and that won't be the last time you hear me talk about top-down process in this show. So they go out there, Chris, five turnovers by that by that Browns defense. And then you look at the run game, Chubb and Hunt. But what really stuck out to me, Chris, was the flatness of Pittsburgh. And I understand, Chris. Chris, to me, the Steelers are Bernie Madoff. Okay? They're Bernie Madoff. You know, they look good, Chris. Like, listen, it looks good, Chris. But then when you realize how by the time you realize that they're a fraud, all everything's gone. Everything in Pittsburgh is gone. Ben Roethlisberger looked done. That defense looked done because that defense was literally like Atlas and carrying that team for a proponent of the season. So I'm not surprised that Cleveland went in there and and won, but it's by the quantity that they won and the dominance. Don't let the score fool you, Chris. That 48-37, Chris, Cleveland could have easily put up a five spot. Easily. So I don't focus on the, the score of that game, but the play of that game. And then transitioning up to Bears Saints, listen, there's a reason why this game was on Nickelodeon. Because this game was was very clownish, <laughs> you know. Right? <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why this game. And so I put it like this: You remember, you remember the game show Double Dare that came yes. on Nickelodeon? Yeah. Listen, you know, Chris, I had a physical, I had a physical challenge for the Bears: score more points, and they did. And you know what? You know they could have used Squidward, all those tentacles, Chris, because Trubisky needed all the help he could get. He I. <laughs> I I was watching like bits and parts of this game and I could not stop laughing with all of like the slime and Nickelodeon anime. I just I number one, I I I, I had a few drinks in me during the uh uh during the watching of this game. So I was already uh, a little uh a little loose to begin with. And then watching this, I had I had some friends over and we're watching this game. And I, I, we all said the same thing. Like, th- this really is a cartoon. This is a shit show. Like, <laughs> but like I said, it's it, the Bears were that team that got in the playoffs. You're like, how the hell did you get in here? And, I mean, they showed up at least. They, they tried. And, uh, well, here we are. Good luck next season, and uh, at least the Saints got a nice scrimmage game in before playing Tampa. Ah, Jesus. But, you know, and like I said, you know, I may have gotten one wrong, but I got one right. I I kept trying to tell people, listen, the Bears are who we thought they were. 
like the like Denny Green said, the late great coach of the Vikings and the Cardinals, and he said about the Bears at a press conference, the Bears are who we thought they were. I kept trying to tell people that. And you're going to see a new quarterback there, rest assured. But I want to talk about the Ravens-Titans because, Chris, what I liked about this game was two things. I think going back to Lamar Jackson, if you remember, I I wasn't sold on Lamar Jackson initially. But I had to realize something, Chris, that sometimes there's always exceptions to the rule in life where, you know, where someone says you always have to be this, this, and this to be good at it. And, you know, for a quarterback, you have to be accurate. You have to be, you know, you have to have a good arm. You have to be certain height. And Lamar Jackson breaks every rule. Lamar Jackson is what Michael Vick is. If what Michael Vick was, but better than that. When I, when I see Lamar Jackson, I think back as a Falcons fan of that's the Michael Vick we could have had fully maximized if you know the whole thing we, we we're not going to get into that but that's to me is what i saw in lamar jackson and what i also saw is i saw a team that's just fully committed and listen I, I'll, I'll argue this point chris there were there was a moment in this game where the Colts could have won this football game, but it comes down to coaching. Just like there was the incident where Frank Reich went for the field goal, he should have went for he should have went for it. Because Chris, when this is the playoffs, Chris, this is not the NBA where you come back another game. You know, it's one game. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hit it or quit it. And so you got to put it all out there. You're on the road. You're a road dog. You got to take chances. And, and you know Frank Reich. I did that for the Colts, and then and Mike Vrabel did the same thing for the Titans. It's where, Chris, you're down four. What's your punt team doing out there? That lets me know two things. You trust your defense, which, let's face it, is a bottom five defense, and you have Derrick Henry. And I understand Derrick Henry. Listen, Chris, Derrick Henry was held to 40 yards. That's the fewest yards, Yeah. P- period. So, but Tannehill. But this is what I say, Chris. You have to trust your offense. You have to trust your offense because Baltimore figured it out. Baltimore, John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh, eight career road playoff games, Chris. That's more than Tom Landry and Tom Coughlin. He has the most road playoff. He's proven to win on the road in January. And at the end of the day, Chris, when I look at the Ravens bills, listen, you know, you know, I got the lines from mybookie.ag. Like the bills are only favored by two and a half. That's not terribly, terribly wide. And if you ask me, Chris, that if we're looking for a potential upset, it could be that game. And as much as you heard me talk about Josh Allen, you know, all season and how he took that next step. Chris, I trust Baltimore can win on the road, Chris. Playoff teams, listen, it's great to have home field. But if you can win on the road, Chris, and you can do it, if, you know, there's no hostile environment because of COVID. There's no hostile, there's no like a 70,000 screaming fans. But nonetheless, you win on the road. 
Baltimore's been there, done that. And to me, I just say, if you give me a choice, if you ask me today, I'd lean toward Baltimore. Because Buffalo's defense is a little suspect. And Lamar Jackson has proven that you can throw any defense in front of him and he'll find a way to attack it with his feet. If you put Aiden in the box, he has a good enough arm where surely he can reach either Marquise Brown or Willie Sneed. And then you have J.K. Dobbins, you have Gus Edwards, Chris. I think, I think we kind of, I think we kind of, I don't want to write off Buffalo, you know, saying they're, they're terrible, but it's something to think about. And going back to the Bucks, Washington, you know, Washington football team, Chris, I, I, here's what I liked about, this is what Tampa did, Chris. Tampa had 507 yards of offense in that game, Chris. What if I told you, like ESPN, like, what if I told you, like ESPN 30 for 30, what if I told you, Chris, that's the most total yards of offense in a playoff game in the history of Tampa? In the history of Tampa. Mind I, you, they went, wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked because of the volume of talent that Correct. is in Tampa right now. I mean, this uh, – I, I think this is better than the 2002 Tampa team that won the Super Bowl. Yeah. I, I think I think what makes them be- what makes them better, Chris, is, is that even though they won the Super Bowl, like this, this, this franchise has a Super Bowl. But what makes them more dangerous, Chris, is that they're playing well on both sides of the ball. Because remember, yes. the last Super Bowl they won, it was very defense-reliant. You had Lynch, you had Sapp, Brooks, Barber. You know, so it was so the offense didn't have to do a whole much. They had to do a lot. But they're so balanced. And I think, and I give a shout-out once again to Todd Bowles, who does oh, a boy, great job. My boy, Blue. And, oh, Jesus. I didn't get to sneak it in. So, but I missed that. I, I wish we would have never fired him. And and Todd Bowles, you know, under that using that cover to getting talent, Levante David, you got Shaquille Bear. This defense is very good, and I think having that balance and Bruce Arians keep bring him on that staff has done wonders. You know, as for Washington, Chris, you know, you said all the things about Heineke, but I'm just going to add something else that's important. Alex Smith, arguably comeback player of the year, no dispute. When Alex Smith is the starting quarterback, Chris, they're five and one. Everybody else is two and nine. So, so it's fair to to wonder if Alex Smith was health healthy enough, could could Washington pull off the upset? And you can make a strong case because Washington was in it until the last drive, essentially, to the fourth quarter. They were in it. Like, there was no point where you felt that Tampa pulled away far enough to be secure. So I'm curious to see what the direction they go at quarterback, because I think their defense is outstanding, led by, you know, the rookie of the year, Chase Young. They got Ryan Kerrigan, Montez Sweat. There's talent, and Ron Rivera is going to have that team in a division that's super winnable. Don't be shocked (laughs) if they get the right quarterback, Chris. It's super winnable. It's that they can win that division if they get the right quarterback. And speaking of quarterback, I got to talk about Russell Wilson. And and you know, Chris, how much I love Russell Wilson. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of him. And he's my favorite quarterback outside of my guy, Matty Ice. What I like about Russell Wilson is 
things that you can measure both on and off the field. On the field, you can tell that he is maximizing his talent every single game. He's out there scrambling. He scrambles more than eggs in a in a pan. You know, it seems week in, week out. And and I think what we saw, Chris, is that you know, I think I, I give more credit to to the Rams defense because they're the number one they have the best defense in football. And what happens, Chris, is that you know you have DK Metcalf, you got Lockett, you got talent, Chris. At the end of the day, I think what happened, Chris, was play calling. You know, and you know, Pete Carroll, listen, people still blame Pete Carroll for th- for throwing the ball in the goal line in that <laughs> Super Bowl. It's like like listen, so there's precedent for people like questioning his judgment. Because and then, but unfortunately, you know, Brian Schottenheimer was let go. You know, they, they let him go as the offensive coordinator after this game. But here's the reality. Going back to the Rams defense, they have one sack, Chris, in 19 straight playoff games. That's the second longest streak in the NFL. Aaron Donald is your defensive player of the year. And I I, I don't – I tell people it, it's it's a done deal. Just like with Alex Smith, comeback player of the year. It's a done deal. And, and then you got Jalen Ramsey. And listen, Chris, they're going to they're going to Green Bay, Chris. Green Bay's favored by seven. And I tell people, once again, I would take the Rams plus seven because even though the Rams may lose, Chris, they're going to it's going to be a very close game. Because that Packers defense is literally Swiss cheese. It's a literal Swiss cheese. And then you throw in the fact they got Cam Akers. The Rams have a run game. And you throw in the fact that, listen, a healthy Jared Goff, the Rams, we, uh, Chris, this was a Super Bowl team three years ago. We, people tend to forget that. Like, the Rams were in the Super Bowl. Like, forget how they played the Super Bowl. You know, just kind of men in black that moment. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just, just forget how they played in that Super Bowl. But this was, this team went to the Super Bowl out of the NFC. So then going on the road, the tough task is going into Lambeau in January. You're facing Aaron Rodgers, who, by the way, and I'm going to mention Jeopardy later. He's going to be guest hosting an episode of, of Jeopardy in the near future, so be on the lookout for that. So, anyway, back to regular schedule programming. Don't be shocked, Chris. Is that I think Green Bay is going to win, but like Lee Corso says, closer than what the experts think. And and lastly, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll mention the Bills and the Colts. Once again, Chris, Frank Reich. I think you're in a situation where you're on the road. You know, just like Vrabel was at home. You got to look at the scoreboard, Chris. You got to look at the scoreboard. You have to understand situational football is where knowing when to go for it and knowing when to punt or knowing when to kick a field goal. It comes down to coaching. That's why they get paid a lot of money. You get the big bucks for coaching. And the biggest takeaway, Chris, is that in the red zone, you know, the, the the two times Buffalo was in the red zone, they scored two touch, you know, red zone touchdowns, they were two out of two. The five times the the Colts were in the red zone, Chris, they had two touchdowns. Yeah. And that makes a difference. Field goal, uh, you know, I'm not going to be like the count, but a field goal is worth one, two, three points. Three points. So, <laughs> there you go. We, let's say we work in camp. We, we, we work in tandem like a bicycle. Oh, so man. we equally pedal. So 
this is and this is the thing about the Colts, Chris. They're the first team in the Super Bowl era to lose a playoff game with 450 or more yards of total offense and zero turnovers. Everybody before that was 10 and up. So to me, Chris, that lets me know that you have to kind of dig deeper. Like like you say, we're both numbers people, Chris, but sometimes you got to kind of peel back and go beyond the numbers. And we look at some of the the decision making. The decision making is that what how do we get here? Like, what if Frank Reich went forward, got, you know, instead of getting that field goal, you get a touchdown, hypothetical. Get a touchdown, Chris. The Colts win by four. Yeah. Instead of losing by three. So I, I don't I'm it's not my job to question coaches, but but the simple fact of the matter is, is that what you're seeing in the playoffs, especially in the AFC, what you saw, you saw the Josh Allen, two two or more touchdown passes, eight of the last nine games versus top ten scoring defenses. The Bills are not afraid of the Ravens defense. The, there's no fear there. You look at once again, you look at Lamar Jackson. There's no there's no fear. He doesn't fear Buffalo's defense. You know, Baker Mayfield, they're playing with house money versus Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion. They're playing with house money. And Chris, oh, I have I have the line in front of me, Chris. The Chiefs are favored by 10 as of this recording. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, and that may change because, you know, I saw, you know, Hilaire may put, play, but Sammy Watkins is out. So that line, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to affect it a half a point or a point, but right now it's at a solid 10. So... When you look at the AFC matchups, Chris, think about this. Of the four quarters, I'm going to flip the question back on you because I didn't forget what you did earlier. <laughs> so, of these four, who's the oldest quarterback left on the AFC, Chris? Oldest quarterback left in the AFC? Yeah. Like, oldest like started, overall or who's, or who's still in the playoffs? Right now, on the AFC side. Uh... I'm going to, I mean, out of the four teams that are left, we're talking about, right? Correct. Yes. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Josh Allen. Baker Mayfield. Really? 26. Wow. How old's uh, Allen? Josh Allen. Josh Allen is 20. I believe Josh Allen is 20. Let's see. I had Josh Allen. They are 23. No, exactly. 20, 25. No, he's 24. Okay. All right. Yeah. He's 24. Oh, and, and and what is that what is that telling me, Chris? Is how the future of the AFC you're looking at right now? Ravens Bills, Lamar Jackson versus Josh Allen. Browns, Chiefs, Baker versus Mahomes. Like it, it's all about the quarterback position. This is why I say this is not your this is not your it's not your old man's NFL where you can win with, you know, winning leather helmets and winning in the trenches and win a Super Bowl. No. You this, need a is high, this is a high-flying, young and fast uh, league we're, we're developing now. Absolutely. And you need a quarterback. And I don't care how – listen, even as much as I like the Rams, Chris, it's, it's, it's hinging upon Jared Goff because Jared Goff came up flatter than pita bread in that Super Bowl. He came up super flat, super yeah. flat. So when you so you gave your prediction. So Rams at Packers, you had who you have in that game? Rams and Packers. I think Green Bay is is just gonna 
they're they're going to maul them. I think they're I think they're slated by six and a half. I think is is the Vegas odds. Yeah, I um, have it at seven. I have it at seven. So you're yeah. So that's the same area. You've got uh, you got Aaron Rodgers, who's just his experience. I think will trump Goff's ambition. Aaron Rodgers knows how to play from behind. He knows how to win from behind. He knows. He know he he's he's a cerebral quarterback and he knows how to play the game while playing the game, if that makes sense. He's that guy that when yeah. it's third down and he sees you swapping defensive players, he's gonna snap the ball without having a play called just to yeah. get the extra five yards. He's gonna run the hard counts on you. He's gonna just manipulate you to make you your own worst enemy. And I, I think that is is great as the Rams are offensively and, and how terrible Green Bay's defense is, I think Green Bay's offense is just stronger and will put more points on the board at the end of the day. And you got yeah, the Adams. Yeah. And then, to me, Chris, you hit the nail on the head. To me, it's well, Aaron Rodgers, it's the game within the game, essentially. It's the game within the game. Because those hard counts lead to not just penalties, Chris, but free yardage in most cases. Yeah, and I, I believe he led he led the league in that this season, where of getting those free yards. So I, I like Green Bay, and I didn't really talk about Bucks and Saints because I'm a Falcons fan. So of course I didn't talk about it, but I have to because you know I'm respectable. So you know Bucks at Saints, Saints three point favorites at home. You like Tampa, and. Here's the thing, Chris. I I always say this. This is why I lean towards you for this reason. To me, I think I used this analogy in another situation. Like, remember that year LSU played Alabama three times that year? Wow, three times. People like, oh, we're we're tired of seeing. We're we're tired of seeing it. No, if they're the two best teams playing, listen, listen. How many times did Ali fight Frazier? Like. Like when you think of boxing, I think of that sort of thing. Or like how many times you know it's always a series, it's a saga. So, Buck Saints, listen, Tom Brady can't lose to the same team three times. I can't picture that. Because, like I say, this is the best team that Tom Brady has ever had. Even better than some of the teams that actually won the Super Bowl. His six Super Bowls, I think they're better than some of those teams. Because of the fact he actually has a receiver, he has receivers. He's well, he has defense, defense too. Yeah, he in and yeah, he has a deep. I think here's the thing: he he's always had some. There were some years, Chris, where he did have a defense in New England. I'll, I'll defend New England on that. Maybe not as good as the one you're seeing under Todd Bowles, but he's never had an offense like this in terms of where you got Mike Evans, you got Chris Godwin. You got Scotty Miller, you got Antonio Brown, then you got Gronk, you got Cameron Bray. He he is legit five six deep, and and then you go through in the backfield like maybe Ronald Jones may or may not play, but but the the key for Tampa Chris is they have to run the football because at the end of the day somehow against a very good front seven of of the Saints, to me I just can't picture Tom Brady losing to the same team three times Chris because. If Tampa loses, and I'm not saying they are, to me, Chris, this is like the equivalent of that. Remember that year when, you know, I know you're not a big basketball guy, but when the Warriors went 73 and 9, 
and they didn't win a championship. Yep. It's like when you're that successful, like your most successful season ever, and this to me is Tom Brady's probably most successful season ever, and you come up short. I just can't picture that. So my gut says Tampa. And, you know, my old man's a Tampa fan. You pick Tampa. And it's it's like throwing bait in the water, and it's like trying to reel me in. I'll go Tampa because I believe they'll figure it out defensively, not offensively. Defensively to get to a to who they know Breeze is hurt. They're going to blitz package. Oh, they're going to yeah, they're going to exploit that uh, like it's going out of style. It, it's going to be blitz, and they're going to force they're going to force Drew Brees to throw the ball quicker. And you throw the ball quick and you're not set, that leads to mistakes. And and lastly, Browns at Chiefs. And and you're the guy didn't you say you you think Cleveland was gonna win this football game in an upset? I, I think they can. I don't know if they will, but I definitely think they can. I'm still fairly I, I, I don't know I don't know how to call it, to be honest with you. You know, I I, I put it like this. And people are going to think, oh, here he goes, bashing on Cleveland again. Get over it, folks. Like I said, if you're listening in Ohio. We don't you like so, you. Listen, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Listen, he talked about Ohio. I think, you know what, Chris? We've cornered the mark in Ohio. You talk about Ohio State, and I talk about Cleveland. Chris, it's just not no what they want to hear. Get, Chris, if we go to dinner <laughs> we go to dinner in Ohio, Chris, we get inside of like one of the bathroom stalls because we're not getting a good restaurant. We got to go to like an Arby's or somewhere because yeah. we can't we we can't go to a decent restaurant. Hey, aren't you those guys that talked about like crap? I told you, Chris, we should have wore the mustaches. Yeah. But 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 I digress. I think Chris, this is the thing. The key to this game, you know, there's to me the biggest key is getting Patrick Mahomes off the field. If you keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, it's the same thing the Rams have to do. You have to run the ball. And I think Cleveland is capable of doing that with Chubb and Hunt. And and this may be funny, but you know, if but listen, I think if I were the Cleveland Browns, you give the Chiefs a huge dose of Chubb. Huge doses of Chubb. Because that's how you keep Mahomes off the field. The best way to beat Mahomes, you can't win in a shootout or in a sling. You can't do that. You know, you can't compete with Jesse Jane. You can't do that. You keep him off the field. The best way to keep a team off the field, run the ball, grind the clock. And I think Cleveland is capable of that. But however, Chris, you mentioned something about Aaron Rodgers that I'm going to say about Patrick Mahomes. I think in this situation, there are certain quarterbacks that I just don't bet against. You know, one of them lost to Russell Wilson, so we can check that name off. I don't bet against Aaron Rodgers. I don't. I don't bet against Tom Brady. I don't bet against Patrick. I, I don't bet against Rodgers, Brady, or Mahomes. I simply don't, because we've seen what happens, Chris, when they hear guys like us talk about them. Like I don't know, they, you know, I don't know if they can do it, and they go up there and like four off. I, yeah. I, I may, I may bet against Tom Brady. I'm actually physical, numeric bets where I put money on the line. I'm actually two and one betting against Tom Brady. 
Believe it or not. Anyway, I'm just writing something down for future reference. I, I am I am two Oops. and one for betting against them. Both Super Bowls that they lost to the Giants. I did put money on the games. And the one I lost is when uh the uh the choke artist formerly known as the Falcons played him. No offense. Oh, offense all the way taken. I uh, I, I threw I threw I figured <laughs> if I softened it up with like a prince uh tie in it'd yeah, be no, better. No, no. But. Yeah, I, I see what you did there. Right. But but once again, uh, you know what? You know, before we move on, the greatest the greatest moment is the Super Bowl is when he played the Super Bowl in Miami and it rained and he sung Purple Rain. Yes. That's the great I, – I don't care. Listen, people are like, oh, what about the game? It was the Bears and the Colts. Nah. You know, we know who won. Peyton Manning, double-check state, you know, nationwide. Okay. At that halftime show – and I was saying, they got to play purple. I don't care if it's not in his set. That's Prince, arguably one of the greatest talents, period. And it's raining. I don't care, care if you get somebody in that Goodyear blimp to get, like, purple dye to make sure it's purple. I don't care how it gets done. That's above my pay grade. It's raining. You play purple rain, and that's what they did. So I just threw that out there. We threw a lot of music and stuff in this show. And, and, and you know what? Listen, all I got to say is, Chris, I think we're nailing it. But, so, so, to go over, to go over, to go over the playoff games before we move on, I think we both kind of like the Packers and the Bucks in the in the uh, conference championship game. I think we can agree on I think we kind of both go that way, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And I think the AFC, <sighs> hmm, I'm like you, Chris, but I'm gonna go Ravens Chiefs. Okay, I'm gonna go Ravens simply because I think, to me, for the Bills, it's the quint two and a half favorites at home. Like, and that's the look. I mean, I understand why the the Saints are favored minus three because of Tampa. I get that, but against a Ravens team who kind of squeaked out a win against the Titans, and you're only favoring them by two and a half. To me, listen, I don't work in Vegas and do odds, but that's very interesting to me. But, anywho, speaking of things that are interesting, you know, we, we don't talk a lot of, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, football. We talk about, you know, to the playoffs, but we, I want to talk about Deshaun Watson. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll lead off and I'll let you come in after yeah, me. Man. One of the things that... I always talk about, and we talk about a lot on this show because I think we both have, you know, we both either have a business, we're involved in the business. So we talk a lot about business. Then, you know, we talk about things like communication. We talk about structure a lot because to me, it's very applicable to sports because that's how every organization is built in an organizational way. When it comes to Deshaun Watson, you look at, you look at the organization he's in, the owner, Cal McNair, when he's when he when, he looks like if if paint if watching paint dry is a person, it's Cal McNair. Yeah. And <laughs> and then you have you know Jack Easterby and Nick Casario, Patriot guys, and I, I'll leave it there. I could go on a. 
And then you, you have Deshaun Watson. So you have the front office. You have Deshaun Watson. And they told Deshaun Watson, Chris, well, we're going to involve you in the process of hiring the GM. <laughs> no, they didn't. And they, you know, and to me, and it pissed them off. And we start seeing these rumors of Watson, you know, for Tua. And you started seeing, you know, people photoshopping Niners jerseys and Washington football team jerseys on Deshaun Watson. Because there's no communication. And like I remember I said, we're going to mention top down again. It's right in the situation here. This is top down, Chris. To me, communication starts in the top down process. If the owner says we're going to get you involved and the owner says, okay, you know, you're a franchise quarterback, Chris. He's the franchise quarterback. You expect him to be there for the next 10 to 15 years. So you have to literally think long term. And he should have a say. And I and I defend Deshaun Watson because if he's going to be there for the next, you know, 15 years max, I think he should have a, have a say. I'm not saying you go with his choice, but you listen, if that makes any sense. You listen to what he has to say. But penultimately, the decision will fall on management. It will fall on the owner and it will fall on the GM. So and the vice president of football operations, it'll, it'll fall on that triumvirate to make the decision. But if he's not in the room, I would be upset because you you want to have your voice heard if you're going to lead this team. So when he wanted Eric Bieniemy to be interviewed, Chris, out of all the jobs that were open at that time, the Texans were the only team not to interview Eric Bieniemy. Don't ask me why. Even if you don't hire him, Chris, like I, I'll throw, I'll ask you quickly, like. If think about this, if you're if you're ever if you're ever the interviewer, the interviewee, if you're ever the person on the other end who's doing the interviews, even if you're not going to hire, wouldn't you at least talk to them and pick their brain a little bit? Like, yeah, you know what? And I and I've been in those positions where I may have already been told that I'm going to hire a specific person or move a specific person. Uh, into a position and I might have had one or two people left to interview and I I still did it again like you said to pick their brain or maybe even by doing so you uh you find something in that who skins me in that person you might like actually mm-hmm. absolutely um you know it, and I mean they definitely I think they dropped a ball on it and like you said with um in regards to number one, Houston, the city of Houston has a problem with professional sports and taking care of their players. Uh, and whether it's baseball, uh, football, uh, basketball, it, it's like a plague in, in that city. And I, we're going to be touching on it in, in basketball here in a, in a few. But the way that they're treating uh, Deshaun Watson in Houston, number one, is just disrespectful. In the words of, of Burman, put some respect on that man's name. That dude goes out there and gives you 100% while you're trading the team away for, like, Coke machines and hot dog stands. And now, you know, I, I read some of the rumor mills and scuttlebutt with Deshaun Watson. They're setting his price so high that they know no one's going to make the move on them because they can't afford it. You know, uh, 
to be, I think that if if Houston was to do the civil thing, they got two options this offseason. They got to go out and they got to open their purse up and they've got to spend some money bringing in a receiving core. They, they've got to give him somebody to throw to. I mean, granted, Will Fuller is a great, is a good receiver. I don't know about great. Brandon Cook, same situation. Uh, he's up there in age, and the man is about as fragile as a glass in a kitchen. Uh, you need something to you need you need to give them something, and I don't think they're giving it to them. And then the touch on we talked about about how they were going to let him in on the GM hiring process. Now it's like you said, the final the the buck doesn't stop with him, but. His his opinion is valued. When I do things, so like in one of my my biggest personnel market, who I have the most employees, is naturally the Northeast because of population and volume and business and so on and so forth. I have essentially got you know I, I I guess I would be the head coach of the team, or I guess I would be the general manager, maybe the VP of operations or whatever, and. I'm searching for that that missing piece. I'm going to have my right hand. Now, his input is going to be valued. His input uh, will be used. But will my ultimate decision be his? No, I'm the, I'm the leader. I have to make those decisions. But at the same time, you need to hear those because that that field management, he's he's managing the game in between the hashes. And the guy I'm trying to, you know, get to, to run the program runs it from a distance. They need to be able to talk to each other and have that head coach in the middle. And for them just to shut Deshaun Watson out, if they're if they're saying he's the franchise, and like you said, he's going to be there for ten to to fifteen years, that's a slap in the face. Them trading D Hop for nothing was a slap in the face. Them just giving up his potential receiving core was a slap in the face. And I think at this point, I, I am all for Deshaun Watson leaving Houston. And right now, you know, according to a lot of the boards and a lot of the things I've been reading and watching, there's three teams that could use him today. One team you brought up was uh, the Dolphins and trading Tua over there and probably have to do some type of, of package deal to to – you know, to make the trade, knowing the ownership of, of of the Texans, I might be able to trade him for like a Snickers and like a couple million dollars, you know, uh, with, with Tua. Um, you know, another one that is a very viable option is the Patriots. I think Cam Newton's done. I think this season it, it was put up or shut up and it just I, – I don't know if it's hearts in the game anymore. I I was a Cam Newton fan when he was at Florida. I was a Cam Newton fan when he went to Auburn. And I was a Cam Newton fan when he played for Carolina. And he, he got me a lot of fantasy points and helped me out in a lot of ways. Um, I just I don't think his heart's in the game anymore. I think mentally, like, I think we talked about it, uh, whether it was this season or last season, mentally he's one of his own worst enemies. It's not the other people on the field. It's him. Um, so the Patriots would be a great home for him. And then last but not least, there's some rumors been flying around. There's one other team 
that uh, that could pick him up. And I think you know uh, what city I'm talking about. And that would be uh, that'd be the Jets. That'd be the old city in New York. And uh, in all honesty, if you look at the package deal, he can get the most money out of the Jets because of their low budget team. He could definitely get a lot of money out of there. And then on top of that, look at the alluring package deal that he could get going in. He's got Prashad Perryman. He's got uh, Mims. He's got Hendren. So he's got three decent people, health pending, could stay in a forward progress and have movement. He's got a developing backfield with the Michael P. Ryan. And then on top of that, he's got four first-round picks in the next two drafts. You know, they've got their two picks plus Seattle's two picks and all of the other picks, you know, that they could uh, – that they could do in the second and third round. And then they can either keep Darnold and build him as a backup and then send him off, you know, to get some trade value or trade him as is. I think if Darnold went to a better, more developed team with a better developing quarterback coach, uh, I think he would have some, some, uh, some, some chance in hell, but you know, for back to Deshaun Watson, I think he just needs to pack his bags, demand a trade, Get out of there. If they're not going to respect them, he, what he needs to do is like, you know, you brought up Carrie Underwood earlier. He, he needs to just make like a country song and pack his shit and go find himself a, a, a lover that will treat him and, and love him. Because right now, I think they've lost that love and feeling in Houston for him. So hopefully we'll see what happens. I would absolutely love seeing him go to the Jets as a Jets fan. Um, I doubt that will happen because that would be good for our team. And somehow there's someone has a voodoo doll that prevents that. But uh, I feel bad for Watson. They're, they're, as Birdman said, put some respect on his name. And, and one of the things is that when I, I read something earlier, and it may be too little too late, but Cal McNair, the owner, said that, well, we'll let him in and involving, involving hiring the head coach. But even though, Chris, that's fine. But th- my point is this. The guy that Deshaun Watson, I feel, wants is the guy that the Texans didn't want to initially interview until Deshaun Watson said, you know, he caught their bluff. And I think he wants Eric Benemy because to me, Chris, Eric Benemy's stock is falling. And, not, you know, it's falling because of the fact that, you know, some teams I read feel that because of the whole. Oh, Andy Reid. And I say the whole Andy Reid tree. And I tell people, well, let me get on that real quick, Chris. Like, like look at the Andy Reid tree. Sean McDermott, Ron Rivera, Doug Peterson, John Harbaugh. Like, uh, counterpoint, the Belichick tree. Oof. Oof. Eric Mangini. Romeo Carnell. Josh McDaniels. Like, the two best people to come out of that tree is the two current coaches, you know, Joe judge for the giants and Brian Flores. And they're just in their, you know, early stages of their coaching career, head coaching careers. The only coach under the Belichick tree with the winning record is Bill O'Brien. And they packed his, and ironically, guess who fired him? The Texans. So it seems to me that the, the Texans want to be like the Patriots. But essentially, at some point, you got to find better role models. Now, I'm going to leave it at that. There, 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 there's better role models 
don't model yourself as the Patriot way because they've proven to you. Like, listen, here's how they got exposed, Chris. The New England Patriots. They can't draft wide receiver. Like the, I think one of the receivers who are currently in the league is Braxton Berrios. I think he's with the Jets. Yeah, they they've drafted receiver and they've they've swung and missed. They've had to go literally through free agency to build or trade. They can't. They have. They don't draft very well. Not they don't. Not they for receiving core. They they can draft some amazing linemen and and put some power on defense. But yeah, when it comes to the people that catch the ball, they uh they don't do that too well. Yeah, and 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 speaking speaking of things not being done too well, we're going to stick with. You know, with Houston, because, you know, we like to pick on the same city twice in the show. So we like to pick on two teams in the same city. So, you know, I know you're not a big basketball guy, uh, you know, because we don't talk about basketball a lot on the show. And people are like, well, uh, why didn't you talk about basketball on the show? Well, I said, well, my coach doesn't like basketball. I'm not going to, you know, bore him like, you know, like talking about nuclear physics if he doesn't like nuclear physics. But. I, I really want to talk about James Harden going from Houston to to Brooklyn. And I want to talk about it in this way. And I'll just be I'll be really quick on this because I want to say this. I'm not saying it's a bad trade because I said from the beginning, Chris, when dude in the NBA, when dudes start running their math like this, Chris, you gotta get rid of them. Because you can't convince them because the NBA is the ultimate players league. It's the ultimate players league where if you don't like where you're at, you can just find somewhere else to go or you could leverage yourself to go to the team where you want to go because you have the power because who gave up the power? Adam Silver kind of gave that some of that up in the CBA. You know, they're getting more money. Like James Harden turned down a max deal, Chris, of $50 million a year. Not to be in for Houston. He turned it down flat. So when he turned down the money, he stood it. He had a press conference saying he didn't want to be there. You ship him. That's not the problem. The problem is, Chris, is that you don't see in the NFL. Listen, what, remember when Randy Moss was so disgruntled when he was with the with the Raiders? Yeah. Yeah, he, he got traded. He got to he went to New England. But 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 here's the thing: when A. B. initially got disgruntled, what happened? They sent him to the Raiders. Yeah. Uh, the. Look at the, you know, I mean, we could stick with basketball. Let's kick it back a few years. Dennis Rodman on the Spurs. Yeah. He, you know, he did not want to leave the Detroit. And I think we dove into that with his 30 for 30 with his mental state and where he was as a, as a person mm-hmm. at that point. He, he didn't want to be in, in San Antonio. They didn't want him there and they got rid of him. And, I, you know, I, I follow basketball to a point you know, uh, but also not as much as I used to because I, I, I felt like for the longest time, if you didn't play for Golden State or or Boston, you know, and then kind of towards Cleveland, like it, it didn't even matter. You weren't going to win. You know, they just they assembled these superstar five man rosters that were just how do you compete with them? And, uh, you know, they've broken that up a little bit. But, you know, uh Old Jay Z out there in uh, in in Brooklyn, he uh, he's assembling himself a little star-studded cast because you've got uh, uh, Russell Westbrook. You've now you've got Kevin Durant. You've got uh, uh, 
uh, and and now Harden, you know, this is this is a dangerous little uh, little situation that you got that you got brewing in 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 Brooklyn. And uh, you know, the thing was, and a lot of people bust balls about it. And I, I think I, I I didn't read the tweets one hundred percent fully, so I'm not going to throw the guy's name out there. But there's a certain NBA player who's lost more times in the finals than than has won that I oh, think boy. might have been picking on him a little bit for swapping teams because he wanted to go win titles. And if I remember correctly, there was a certain person that left a certain team to go chase titles. So I but hypocrisy is a big thing in 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 today's world in multiple subjects. So we'll just leave it at that. But you know what? Harden didn't want to be in Houston. They didn't support him. They didn't give him a cast to 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 build on. They just didn't really help him. And you know what? He wanted out. So you know, God bless him. Here's where I agree with some of you said, but I'll, I'll just here's a couple of things that I slightly disagree on. Respectfully, Houston did everything they did to help James Harden win. They win it, and I'm here's the problem. It's easy. I'm not saying the Rockets are the top tier organization. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying, Chris, is that at the end of the day, shouldn't we put some of that blame on James Harden because he didn't show up for some of the playoff games either? Yeah, no that that's one thing you uh uh you you gotta you you gotta win. You gotta not so much win. You gotta be able. You can't win a basketball game by yourself, no matter what everybody thinks. It's a five-man sport on both sides of the court. Absolutely. And if the other four people are not putting 100% of their talent and effort into the game, Mm -hmm. you're not going to win. But, yeah, yeah, there were times that he, you know, you missed those easy shots. You missed those easy free throws. You missed those wide-open, you know, things. You can't be upset when you lose, and they might not want to surround you. But you know what? Sometimes – uh, getting a change of scenery helps players. I think. There, I, I think we've seen it in other situations where a player has left an organization, and the toxicity of that organization left them as a person and player. And when they go to their new home, uh, you know, sometimes the, that change of scenery is is what's needed. So I. I wish him the best of luck in Brooklyn. You know, maybe if if the world gets back to normal. I'll go check out a game. You know, I, we as a company, we got tickets uh, into the Barclays. So uh, maybe I'll go uh, go catch one. Who knows? You know, opportunities are endless. Yeah, they are. And speaking of opportunities that are endless, I want to wrap up the show with something that a show that I like. And, you know, with Jeopardy. And now opportunities, you know, for those getting becoming guest hosts since. Uh, Alex Trebek passed, and and I wanted to mention on the show because because why are we talking about Jeopardy on the show? Great question, and I'll answer sports it with and the world. There you well, there you go. There, there's that's my attorney. So the 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 point is, is is that when I think of Jeopardy, it's an institution, and not a lot of people. Whoever becomes the next permanent host of Jeopardy will be the in in this in this era. Because there was the Art Fleming era back in the you know seventies, but it took a break. But the next person that takes the job will be the second host of Jeopardy, 
in almost 40 years. Think about that. It's like it's like the Pittsburgh Steelers of game shows, where it's a job you can literally have for, in some cases, a third of, you know, half or third your life. Al Shepard did that job for almost 36 years. He he took that job when he was in his, I believe he was in his, almost in his 40s when he took that job. And he, it's to me, it's the best game show on television. And I'm not just saying because I've watched it for, you know, I'm, you know, I'll be 33 this year and I've watched it probably, I could say, for 25 years comfortably, maybe even more than, maybe I was a little bit young because I was a little bit nerdy, so maybe a little bit before that. To me, watching these guest hosts are surreal because it's kind of like, I'll use the sports concept before we wrap up. It's kind of like when we saw Emmitt Smith in a Cardinals jersey or when we saw Brett Favre in a Jets jersey or when we saw Jordan in a Wizards jersey. We assume that they're always going to be at the same place forever. And we and we think that they're going to play forever. We, we think that. And watching, like, you know, the guests, I've been watching Ken Jennings all week, and he's, he's doing a good job. But, like, even he said the same thing that, you know, millions of us Jeopardy fans have said, you can't replace Alex Trebek. And I tell people, you can't, don't ever try to, don't bring in somebody who's like Alex Trebek. Bring in somebody who was like Trebek with their own personality. Because I think the price is right early on tried to make Drew Carey like Bob Barker and they're two separate people. Yeah, it just it just didn't work. It's like two separate people. So what they did was was they changed the format. They changed the introduction. Instead of being the star of the show, he's the host. Because Barker was the star of The Price is Right. But now you watch it, you watch The Price is Right. It's more about it's more about people like you and me. It's about the people. And and I think when you look for the next host of Jeopardy, look for somebody who is sharp witty and more importantly loves the game man or woman like i have a few names i won't mention them here who i think would do the job very well and and like i say you know there's ken jenny the katie kirk going to be hosting and aaron Rodgers is going to be hosting so mr discount double check could add jeopardy host who is already hall of fame resident so if there's anything else you want to add, Chris, before we before we wrap yeah, up, uh, yeah, a good I mean, show. Since we're on the since we're on the world subject, uh, shout out to uh, Betty White. Uh, today is her 99th birthday. That old bat is still clicking and ticking. Happy, happy birthday, Betty! I don't know how she does it, but God bless her old soul, man. She's uh, she's one cool bitch. Uh, secondly, get online right now. And Google Mortal Kombat reboot. So they're releasing oh, the movie. They're oh. releasing, yeah, they're releasing the movie in April. It's going to be in limited theaters and, of course, on HBO Max because it's a Warner Brothers production. They just released some set photos of some of the main characters: um, Liu Kang, Kung Lao, Kano, Sonya Blade, uh, Sub Zero, someone we think who might be Scorpion before he becomes. So it'd be uh, it'd be Hanzo. And they have a new character that they're kind of releasing into the Mortal Kombat uh, arena named Cole Young. And, real, you know, real quick on it. Essentially, he's a washed up MMA like UFC type fighter that gets invoked into the whole Mortal Kombat thing. And if I got to break down and explain it, how it works, you should probably just not watch the movie. But uh, 
there hasn't been any uh uh you know scene of johnny cage yet but so if i was to think you know johnny cage might be a stage name that he used when he becomes a martial artist and then famous actor but so if you see my, my my drift on this but the from what is released right now um you know they act and they also have jackson there already um the the the, the screenshots the still photos they have look pretty damn good for a movie that they're making in the world of covid um so that's coming out in april i'm super hyped about that uh also uh wandavision uh starts streaming today so check that out uh and then also you know we're getting ready to hit that magical time here in a few days when uh uh, a u.s ceremony is going to happen so regardless of how you feel about it if you love the guy or you or you or you don't like him I think a lot of you that know me know how I feel about him, but that still doesn't excuse you to act like a fucking psychopath and get out there and break shit that isn't yours and break into places that aren't yours um, and hurt people. It's not acceptable. Uh, you have your right to protest. I think we even talked about this before, and I caught some shit for it. You know, the typical you know card that gets played when you don't agree with somebody's viewpoints. Uh, I don't condone destroying shit that isn't yours, regardless of who you are or what you are or your stance or anything. If it's not yours, don't break it. If it's not yours, don't enter it. Don't hurt people. Um, use your voice instead of instead of your fist or weapons or whatever. All that does is it escalates things and it only makes things worse. And I don't condone it. I didn't condone it in the summer with all of the riots and, and protest, and I don't want to call protests and with the riots, but the riots and acts of stupidity. I think we saw a very, uh, uh, broad situation of it in Wisconsin, uh, a protest erupted into a riot and a riot ended up with an 18 year old kid shooting three people who were trying to kill him. And again, whether it's right or wrong, you know, it, it's it's an indifferent subject. But long story short, if you want to see change, it starts at the local level. If you don't like the way that your cities ran, pay attention to your politics. It's not just stop getting whatever you see on Facebook or CNN or Fox News or Twitter. Do your own damn research. Formulate your own intelligent opinions and just stop moving with the mob on whatever side of the aisle you may or may not fall on. It's not healthy, and that's what gets us into the situation we're in right now. So please, for the sake of mankind, stop doing stupid shit. I don't want you to do stupid shit to me or to anybody I know, because I'll end up be the one plugging you. And I mean that with love, kind of. So please be good this weekend. Don't do anything stupid, and uh, peace and love and all that weird shit that uh, the Beatles would say. Yeah. You know, who who would figure at the end of this show, Chris would be the one to end it in a very diplomatic way. So if, if oh, you went to... But, but, but fuck Ohio State. Well, I'm, I'm still going to leave that, though. Ah, geez, I shouldn't have said that. Well, well, I'll wrap up the show. Because I thought we're going to end on a very good diplomatic note. And then that happened. But <laughs> until, until you hear us again, I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. Be real, be you, be blessed, and be safe from all of us here at the Sport and the World Podcast. See ya!